Welcome to the Women in North American Aquaculture podcast. My name is Jean Coden, and I'm the digital editor of Aquaculture North America. In this podcast, we talk to influential women in the aquaculture industry to share their experiences in research, entrepreneurship, innovation, and mentorship. In this first episode, I talked to Jill Voorhees, who is a fisheries biologist at South Dakota's McNenny Fish Hatchery. Although she works in a public hatchery, her experience falling into the fisheries and aquaculture world is very interesting. My personal takeaway from the conversation was how much she has already achieved as a young professional, being recognized for awards and being considered a thought leader in her sector, while also maintaining that work-life balance we all want. Um, She was incredibly humble about it, but she was also really generous about her insights. I can't wait for you to hear what she has to say. Um, But before we go into the episode, I want to first thank our program sponsor, Merck Animal Health, for making this podcast possible. Now, please enjoy our first episode of Women in North American Aquaculture with Jill Voorhees. Well, first of all, Jill, I want to thank you for being here and being on our first episode of the podcast. Um, I know that hatchery work is a 24-7 job, so I appreciate you taking the time and carving out some time for us. You're welcome. I'm excited to go with the interview. Um, So yeah, let's just dive right in. Um, My first question to you is, what inspired you to choose a career in fisheries and aquaculture? I actually feel that it kind of chose me. Um, I stumbled into it. I was working at Walmart as a cashier when I was going to college and a guy came through my line and there were some issues. So I had to call a manager and of course, Walmart being slow, I had, we had to wait. And so we got talking, he found out I was a college student going for environmental science and he gave me his contact. And that's when the internship started. I contacted him and I started as an intern here at McEnany State Fish Hatchery in Spearfish, South Dakota. How long have you been in the industry now? Um, I started as an intern in 2009. And then after finishing college, I was a seasonal and then permanent. So I've been in the industry for about 12 years now. So in 2009, how far into your environmental science program were you in already? I was a junior. Okay. How old were you then? I was 20, I believe. Can you kind of walk me through that scenario of like, you're just in your part-time job and this guy walks in and you have like this, you didn't know at the time, but life-changing conversation. So Mike actually, my boss, Mike, who I met there now, actually jokes because he's found a few interns at Walmart. So he's always around and open. Like one guy he heard talking to another guy that was working at Walmart um, about having a biology degree. So he's very good at finding interns for one. And then two, I was following the rules and he was not very happy with me, Um, but we were sitting there. And so we just started talking and he asked why I was working at Walmart. And I said, I'm going to college. This is my part-time job. And from there, it was just kind of organic. Okay. So you were one of the different students that he's met at Walmart. Was Walmart his like main recruitment? (laughs) I was his first at Walmart. And I think he's found three or four at Walmart since then. Um, But that was just one of the avenues that he's found a couple interns from. Wow, that's amazing. How long have you been in the industry? I have been in the industry full-time and part-time for about 12 years. How are you liking it? What keeps you going? Um, I'm really enjoying it. I I love the differences that from day to day. I don't have the same monotonous work all day. Um, I'm in the office more now than I used to be. Um, I am now a wildlife biologist, so I do more research, and that includes more computer time. Um, but I also get to go out. I get to go stocking fish. I get to go lift nets. 
Um, sometimes when I'm really bored and I don't feel like being in the office, I like to mow the grass. So sometimes I get to mow the grass when we have grass to mow. And so it, I just like the variety. I like that I can pretty much choose my schedule. There's certain things that have to happen some days, but it's very flexible. So starting out as a student intern in 2009, we should mention that the name of the hatchery that you work at is McNenny State Fish Hatchery, right? Yep, it is. So yeah, starting out as a student intern, what was it about your experience there that really sparked your interest? I liked the variety. I liked that it wasn't a desk job. I was not looking for a desk job. I liked that it changed day to day. And then when I was an intern, I got to help with the annual report for the hatchery, which was a lot of the numbers, the feed conversion ratios, how many pounds of fish we grew, um, things like that, that I never really got into. And I'm really kind of, I like math. Um, it comes natural. And so when I started to do the background information and more of like fish numbers and all that stuff, I really started to get interested. And just the variety really is what interested me in the job fully. Mm-hmm. You said you're at the hatchery at 12 years now. What made you stay? Um, so when I got done with college, I had an internship that summer and then I was looking for a job. And it so happened that there was a seasonal job um, in a town about an hour from here. And so I took that and it was at a hatchery there with the state and um, that turned into a permanent job. So I was at that hatchery for five years before I then moved back to McNenny about four years ago is when I came back to McNenny for the wildlife biologist job. So you've returned to McNenny for four years now and does it feel different from when you were a student intern? Um, Yes, but I had that transition period at the other hatchery for five years. And so it it was a pretty easy transition. Um, I'm working with a couple of the people I did while I was an intern, but since I was at a different hatchery for a few years, it was kind of a growing period, I think, for all of us to then transition more into the permanent job and coworker instead of, you know, an intern. Did you ever consider going into the commercial industry? Um, Was there a reason why you wanted to stay in public hatcheries? Here in South Dakota, there is no commercial aquaculture, actually. Um, There's three state-owned hatcheries. There's a few private, um, but really being in the central part of the U.S., there's no option for commercial. Um, I grew up in South Dakota, and I really like South Dakota, so it's really somewhere where I wanted to stay. So Jill, take us through a typical day at the hatchery. What is your day like there? So here at the hatchery, of course, we have chores. Um, A lot of what we do, we've minimized the daily routine chores. So we feed the fish in the morning, but like me being an intern, we have interns that come in almost every morning and do that for us, which allows us to be able to do more research and to do other fun projects. Um, And we help the interns then to do research projects and write um, published papers as kind of a perk for doing the monotonous chores. And it really fluctuates throughout the season. A lot in the spring and in the fall, we stock that's our heavily stocking season. So a lot of the time we're taking a couple trips a day, sometimes all the way across the state. So 12 hour trips a few times a year. During October, we spawn salmon and that's the only time we spawn. So that's a four hour trip one way. So it just kind of depends. We have a lot of differences from day to day. So that's one thing we always tell interns is you really don't know what you're doing the next day. And there's always something new to learn and try. Is there a favorite part of your routine or maybe a part of the job that you most look forward to? I like spawning in October because it's something different to do every year. Um, We do it once a week usually is it, but it's something, it's one of those things that I don't get to see all the time. Everyone is interested in it, especially when people ask you questions. Um, That's usually what they're interested in. And so it's one of those times that you get to work with other people. 
we work with a lot of management guys that help us spawn another of the hatcheries that's a cold water hatchery. And so it's just getting outside the hatchery and being able to work with others too. Now, because we're um, a women in industry podcast, I wanted to ask you, um, do you work with a lot of men and women? What is the gender balance in your work environment? So in South Dakota, especially in game fishing parks and fisheries in general is mostly men. Um, In the whole fishery section, I think there's only four women. Here at McNenny, we have a lot more female interns than anywhere else. They always joke that my boss is apt to hiring females, Um, but permanently we have three other men that I work with full-time. Like I said, some are female interns, mostly are males. Throughout the state, it's mostly men I work with. So with, with talking about your mentor, Mike, and um, I guess his um, skill at recruiting women. Is that something that you guys talk about in terms of recruiting more women and including more women in your sector? In South Dakota, there's not really the like intern pools or even hiring pools. We don't have a whole lot of women that apply. So it's not like we can equal it out by any means. Um, It's not like people are against women. It was one thing that I was afraid when just going into science in general when I was early on in my um, schooling career. But honestly, I don't think I'm treated any different than any of the men. I lift the same. I do the same. Sometimes I'm short. So sometimes we have, I get made fun of, but, and there's things to work around. But I really feel like within the department and even just fisheries and the whole department, I don't think they treat me any different because I'm a female. So it's kind of nice because I'm comfortable. It's not like I'm looked at differently or, you know, that I can't lift a net. So it's one of those things that I've really tried and that I've really found the guys that I work with susceptible not susceptible, but open to. When talking to Mike about, you know, the talent pool, do you guys have conversations about, yeah, bringing more women or looking at more women interns? It's more of who's the best candidate for the job. Um, It's not even really an option of if they're male or female or what they are. In South Dakota, just in general, it's mostly white people. Um, There's not a whole lot of diversity for race and everything else. Um, But Mike's brought in actually some people from Kansas of, And probably Mike has been one that's hired a lot of the different races, ethnicities, and um, sex. But it's just, I think he looks for the best candidate on who will fit in the job and with who we're working with. So he really tries to hire for the best for our environment on keeping morale up and everything else. So I don't even think it's necessarily based on anything like that. It's more of who is the best person for this job. For sure. And that's definitely important to say in terms of thinking about that diversity aspect of the talent pool and the recruitment stage for sure. So you mentioned that a lot of your work now has to do with research. And because most of our audience at Aquaculture North America is um, in commercial aquaculture, does your research have implications in their sector? Are there studies that you can share that our listeners should be checking out? So a lot of our research is production-based. We're not a normal research facility. We are a production-based facility, but a lot of the research we do also is on occupational health and safety. Um, I've done a couple studies on formaldehyde and treating eggs with formalin and formaldehyde levels. Um, There's certain ones that we've done on noise and remediating noise in the hatchery to make it more friendly for workers. Um, My coworker is very good at fabricating. And so there's different things that we've done. So we have a lot of springs here that feed our ponds. 
and we don't have aeration, we don't have power there. And so we've looked at, there's ways that we've passively um, aerated the water with splash plates, we call them, that allow the water to go through, which releases the nit high, highly saturated nitrogen in the spring water, and then um, adds the atmospheric oxygen back into it. Um, so things like that, I think are really, that we can share within you know public, private, and commercial aquaculture that really can improve life and also just, and do it cheap, cheaply. We don't really have a whole lot of extra money that we can play with here. So a lot of our stuff that we do is in-house welding and stuff like that, that we just fabricate ourselves and find a way to do it with the non-excess money that we have. Um, what species are you guys working with there? We do cold water fish, um, primarily rainbow trout is a lot of what we do. Um, this year we don't have any Chinook salmon, but we usually have Chinook salmon, which is the spawning we do on Lake Oahe in the middle of the state. We do brown trout every once in a while. And then there's some other special species every once in a while, like splake and brook trout and things like that that have been done at the hatchery. What's your current research focus now? Right now, my research, the research going on at the hatchery is we're actually looking at submerged spray bars versus um, spray bars that are the normal ones that are outside of the tank. And with that, we're going to also have interns that will do some project on radon levels. We do have um, outside of the building, our spring water is aerated. Um, so we should be stripping off all the radon. But what we found when we started to monitor is we're still extremely high for what we're supposed to be for occupational health and safety. And so we're hoping that submerging the spray bars will decrease the radon and then also decrease the noise for occupational safety things, but also looking at growth, seeing if we submerge the spray bar, will growth change? Um, is it something we can easily do that will then you know, be the positive of radon and noise too, and not hinder the fish growth. That's one thing that we're currently have a study going now. And then just currently writing some projects that have been on my table for the last year or two. Um, how has the pandemic affected your research and your productivity there? So here it hasn't really affected us too much. Um, really in South Dakota, we didn't shut down. The state closed its offices for a month, but I live at the hatchery. Um, there's housing here. So three out of the four of us live here. So we still did chores every day. Only one of us could be at work. And then I just wrote at home. And then the only thing that it affected is when we had to stock fish. Um, it's really hard to load a truck and stock fish with only one person. We did it for a while. And then finally, we kind of got the okay after the month uh, that we could then kind of go back to normal. Um, we couldn't be in a truck together, but Really, it only affected us in South Dakota for maybe a couple months, and now we're kind of back to normalcy here. It hasn't affected your supply chains at all? Uh, no, actually, all of our fish eggs come from the federal hatcheries, and so those have been really consistent. And then angling has actually increased since COVID, um, especially that whole month or two that most of the state was shut down. Anglers came out of the woodwork and were fishing like crazy. So they were happy with what our products were. And really for us, it hasn't affected us at all as a public hatchery anyway. Wow, that's amazing. One thing that really caught my eye when I was researching you was how much you've accomplished in your short 12 years in the hatchery industry or hatchery sector. I'll embarrass you a little bit and kind of uh, list some of the awards that I found of you. Maybe you can fact check me as well. So you were recognized for the Outstanding Performance Award in the Aquatic Section for the South Dakota Department of Game, Fish and Parks, David Wills Outstanding Young Professional Award from the Dakota Chapter of the American Fisheries Society. And of course, um, because our sister publication is Hatchery International, I wanted to mention you were also chosen in our 2019 Top 
10, under 40. Are there particular accomplishments, professional accomplishments that you're most proud of? I'm happy with what I've accomplished so far. Um, I don't really realize sometimes my husband gets mad at me when I figure it's my day-to-day job. So um, I don't feel like I'm excelling that much and he tells me I'm being hard on myself. Um, So I don't know if there's really one accomplishment. It's just overall having a job I love. Working with people I really enjoy um, personally, professionally, and ones that just encourage me. And then having flexibility in my job to be able to still be a mom and a wife and all the other hats that everyone wears. Um, It's one of the things that I really enjoy most. Um, I know I could probably make money more, you know, different places, especially being a female in this industry, but I don't want more money. I just, I like the flexibility. I like the option of being able to wear all those hats and not have the stress of other work. So it's one of those that um, professionally, I'm just happy that I have flexibility in my job. I can take care of my kids when they need to. I can go to school events and it's, it's just, it's nice. It's nice to be able to live that way. Um, I know the awards are kind of I guess, fence posts where you can kind of dot your career, but is there a particular moment in your career where you're like, I'm proud of this particular accomplishment or I'm proud of the skill that I learned? Um, probably most proud of is finishing my master's. Um, I did that while working full time and having a baby, having my first baby. Um, and so it was one of those things that I never thought I was going to get a master's degree. Um, I started working for the state and they actually offered to pay for all my schooling, all my classes, and I just paid for my thesis hours. And so it was one of those things that just came up. And um, it was one of those that towards the end and after having kids that it was really difficult, but I was so happy that I got it done. And one of those things that I never really thought I was going to do, but the opportunity came up and I was like, I might as well take it. This is the best option for me. It's not going to hinder me. It's only going to help. And so it was, yeah, it's one of those things that I, I'm happy I did. I happy I accomplished it when I did and I'm happy life was the way it was. Mm-hmm. Jill, I think you are too humble and I am here hap- very happy to toot your own horn because um, one of the main things that I really wanted to talk to you was because of your hatchery international profile. Like women are commonly known to be these great multitaskers, but in reading your background, you, I think you're putting us all to shame. I'll share a link for the profile that Jill has for Hatchery International, but you have that you were juggling things like your graduate degree or your master's degree, um, plus working full-time at the hatchery. You were also conducting several research studies, um, plus becoming a wife and mother during all of that time. Um, it seems like a simple question, but how did you, how did you juggle it all? <laughs> I have to take my job. Um, the state is really great. Um, they really work with us. So a lot of the graduate projects, like I said, the state paid for, but I also got to work with like a lot and a lot of my homework at work. So if we had downtime now, if we had busy times, I had to find time to do it at home. Um, but if we had downtime, I was able to work on my schoolwork at my job. And the same with the projects, my graduate research projects that then turned into scientific publications. Those were all during work time a few people after me and a few people before me in the department that have taken advantage of that. And so it's one thing that I find that um, it's not necessarily how much you make, but also what the your job's willing to do. And my job is really family orientated. Um, a lot of the people I work with are, and so that's very important. And so it's being able to find that time to do stuff at work that still benefits work and us. Um, and it's it's one of the things I'm most grateful for 
is that I do have the option to learn and continue to learn at my job and that my job is willing to pay for schooling and things like that to really help the employees that want to excel and do whatever they want. Mm -hmm. That support system at your workplace is definitely a really important part of the piece. But was there ever a day where you felt it was overwhelming and how you dealt with that challenge? Um, It's been overwhelming. There's even seasons here that's overwhelming when we start to stock a lot. Um, It is a lot of physical labor. Um, We're very archaic here at this hatchery, so we don't have a lot of systems in place. We're hoping to get a fish pump by the end of the next this year. But other than that, it's all lifting. It's physical labor. We're lifting every net that goes on the trucks. We're unloading the fish because the fish are too big to come out of the holes. Um, So those times that you're just drained, I do feel that, but they're short times. Um, And I know there's an end. So it's kind of at the hatchery when we're all getting drained. Um, We kind of have a meeting that talks about when the end is, you know, how many more trips do we have? How long is this? And usually as long as you can see the end, even at a class during when I was taking class and having a son and everything else, it was one of those things that you knew the end was coming. You know, it's only a couple more months that I have to last through this. And then there will be a break at the end. So we talked a little bit about, you know, the different support systems you have in your work environment, in your home life. It's just as important to help you balance. What's the support system there like? So here at the hatchery, um, we are very supportive. Like I said, it's a small, small facility. We only have four full-time staff. And so there is a lot of support. If we need extra time for things, or if we're feeling like, you know, loading fish, I can't necessarily lift the weight nets out of the water. Well, then maybe that day we're on the truck. And so it is, it's supporting, it's that ebb and flow. If we need help stocking, because you know, people are sick and tired or whatever else. There's people in management guys that are willing to come and help us stock fish for a day or two to give us a break. So there is a huge support system within the job and outside the job that is just, it's great. It's really, you really feel wanted and like almost a family here. Mm -hmm. With the interns that you guys have that are working at the hatchery as well, what is the advice that you offer for those overwhelming seasons? We always tell there's an end and my boss is really good about celebrating wins. So one thing that he does that I think a lot of the interns really enjoy too is that we have lunches together, not consistent. Sometimes it's once a month, sometimes it's not, but he'll cook a meal. Or if we have people come out to the hatchery, you know, some of the management guys, we're 10 miles out of town. It's not like you wanna drive all the way into town for lunch and come back. And so then he'll cook. Um, Sometimes it's a surprise chili and who knows what meat's in there from his freezer. Um, And it's edible. Most of the time it's good. (laughs) Sometimes it's only okay. Um, But it's one of those times that we we then sit down and have lunch and then we can just, it's not about work. It's about, oh, what's going on? How's everything going? And so it's probably those meal times that I'd say the interns think are the best and that the full-time staffs do too. Um, We celebrate birthdays, just small things like that you know, your work anniversary, we'll make sure that we have a lunch for that. And so um, we invite down spouses and other things. And so it's just, it's really a community out here. And we do try to encourage the interns. We try to help them with research projects if they want to. Some interns don't like research projects. Some of them just want the money, the paycheck, and we're fine with that. But if they have the aptitude and they want to write a research paper, we sit down and we work through it. We do the research with them and we help them write the paper. And so we hope that for them doing all the grunt work, like sucking fish poo and, you know, all the chores, the monotonous stuff that comes with the hatchery, that we can help them out too, then by doing a research project and being able to have that on their resumes and things like that going out into the real world. Mm -hmm. What keeps you motivated at work? 
the variety and just being able to learn. Um, I've been asked a few times on my dream job and I, I always say my dream job would be a student. Um, I love to learn. And so a job that allows that, that I can read about current events, you know, things that are going on, research, um, all that other stuff, and just learn whatever I can is just one of those things that I really love. Um, even the monotonous, you know, Bureau of Human Resources class on leaderships, that's different, but I'm still learning. So I guess that's my favorite thing is that I can learn and it keeps me motivated. It keeps me knowing that I'm growing and um, just to continue to grow and be the person who I'm meant to be. For sure. Thank you so much again for um, taking the time to talk with me about your work and all of the amazing experiences that you've had at the hatchery. I'm sure there are a lot of people listening, hopefully, that can really relate to your experience and hopefully use that as a platform to grow in the industry as well. I want to leave the podcast a little bit with some last thoughts, kind of like a quick fire lightning round section, just to kind of get to know a little bit more about our guests. So what is the best advice you ever received? So I would say the best advice I ever received is to not hold off on personal life just because of my career. It's one of those things I don't think is really spoken a lot. Um, it was when I was in my master's and at that time, my boss now, the one that found me as an intern, was also my adjunct professor. And so we were talking and it was one of those things, I just got married. Um, I felt like it was the right time to have kids, but I was in the middle of my master's. I still had all my research, I still had all that. And he looked at me and he said, don't hold back. Family is the greatest thing in the world and don't ever, just because of your career, don't hold back on your family life. He's like, you can do it all and we can find a way to work through it. So I think that was one of the best advice that I ever got. Wow, that's amazing. Um, looking back at your younger self, what advice would you give? I think I would give my younger self and my advice today is just because I'm a female, it doesn't mean that men think I'm an idiot. Um, it's probably my one of my most preconceived notions to when talking to anglers or anything else like that. And even when I first got into the industry, I felt like I had to prove myself. And so throughout the years, I felt like, or I found out that the men don't think I'm an idiot. It's me reading that they think I'm an idiot. And so just, and I still have to remind myself, they respect me. They, you know, it's not sex uh, or anything else. If I can do the job I'm doing, it doesn't matter who I am or what I do or anything else. It just matters that I can get the job done. Yeah, for sure. That's a very important part of it, that imposter syndrome type of um, feeling that a lot of people carry, not just women, but men as well. Favorite piece of tech that you use at work every day? Like I said, we're pretty basic when it comes to technology. I use my computer every day, and that's about the only thing of technology that we use. Other than that, we use our YSI DO meter maybe once a week to check DO, but that's about how archaic we are here. We don't have an alarm system. We don't have monitoring of DO. It's all, you know, spring water fed. Um, my boss says it's dummy proof as a system. And so having that and here allows us to be able to then do the research that we can do without worrying about everything else going on. Simple is best. Mm -hmm. Finally, favorite fish pun or joke? The one I use most is probably that my son is six, so he doesn't get puns quite yet. And so he has gotten the pun that it's smelling fishy around here. So that's usually what I'll tell him if we're walking around the hatchery or doing chores on the weekend or whatever. I'm like, something's smelling fishy around here. So that's <laughs> probably my favorite. I love that, that's great. Um, well, thank you again, Jill, for taking the time to talk with us. I hope you have a great day. Thank you. 
there was absolutely nothing fishy about this first episode. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Women in North American Aquaculture podcast. I hope you enjoyed our first episode and our conversation with Jill, and um, I hope you were inspired by her passion for the work. Once again, we want to thank our program sponsor, Merck Animal Health, for making this project possible. For episode highlights, links, photos, and more extras, you can check out our website on aquaculturenorthamerica.com women.